study through the New Testament. Let me encourage you to read uh, 1 Samuel 24 for Wednesday as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Hey, this week, uh, as you're praying, and you should be praying, amen? amen? As you're praying this week, can I encourage you, please pray about our building situation. We should be hearing something this week. As you know, we met with the board at, uh, for the VHM here about getting some more adequate classrooms and things for the children's ministry. Um, if that doesn't happen, we've already began to look at other buildings in the area. And so just be praying. It's not, we're not looking for a building. We're looking for an opportunity to minister to people. Amen. And so God knows He's faithful, but just be in prayer about that. Continue to pray about the full power radio station. We're moving you know, ahead on that. We should know something in October, Lord willing. So keep those things in prayer. All right, this morning we're going to continue to look at the letter written to the early Jewish Christians mainly. And as I've said before, it bears repeating for those who might be new. The book of Hebrews was a book written by a Jew to the Jews to tell them to quit being Jews. What was happening was the Jewish people that, that had become Christians began to walk with the Lord and in the midst of persecution and in the midst of potentially being drawn back to the old way of life by family and friends and others, there was a conflict and there were those who were being tugged back into their old way of life, back to the old traditions. At the time this letter was written, a temple was still there, so they would still see those bringing the sacrifices, those things were still happening. And so, especially in the midst of persecution, there was this temptation to go back to their Jewish roots, to try to, in maybe some cases, hold on to both. Maybe I can follow Jesus and still make sacrifices. Maybe I can, you know, have both. Boy, that sounds like Santa Cruz, doesn't it? You know, we can serve Jesus and a number of other gods as well. But you know what? In turning to the Old Covenant, they were really turning away from the Savior. Because though the Old Covenant was God's way of us coming to Him, the people coming to Him prior to Jesus, once Jesus came, it had been done away with. No longer did they sacrifice lambs. No longer did they, you know, have a, to go before the high priest because Jesus is the great high priest. They didn't have to do those things anymore. And to do that was to go back to the shadow of the thing which was the one who was to come, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, they were turning away from the Lord. So the focus of this letter, and you've heard me say it already, is that Jesus is better. This entire letter, Jesus is better. Chapter 1, he's better than the prophets. Now, not that the prophets weren't good. The prophets were good. God used them. They're men of God. They're in heaven. Great, wonderful men. But you know what? Jesus is better. The angels, chapter 2, he's better than the angels. The angels certainly are good, used by God. Jesus is better. And then as we saw last week, or two weeks ago, we were in chapter 3, he's better than Moses. Now, you've got to understand, to say that to a Jewish person was a big deal. They really had, you know, they lined up behind, you know, Abraham and Moses, their top two guys, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. These are their patriarchs of the faith. And to say that Jesus is better than Moses, but indeed Moses led them to the land of promise, but he could not lead them in. Because Moses is a type or a picture of the law. The law can only reveal our sin, but it cannot save us. And we know that the one who led them in was Joshua, whose name in Greek is Jesus. So, the law can lead us, the law can open our eyes to the truth, but the law cannot save us, only Jesus can. So chapter 3 ended with the example of the children of Israel. Because the children of Israel were a picture of what was happening to the Jews now. What had happened was because of their unbelief, even though they got right up to the land of promise, as they were about to enter in, we saw in chapter 3, he reminded them, he recollected to them that story of them getting there, but because they didn't believe, they were unable to enter in. What happened was, briefly, 12 spies went in, 10 came back, and, and they all said that everything that God said about the land was true. It was indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, but 10 of them said, but there's giants in the land, and if we go in there, they're going to squash us like grasshoppers. And then there were two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, our God's greater. Let's go. And you know what happened? They listened to 10 instead of 2. And I find often in life that that's kind of how it usually breaks down. 
10 whiners for every two people that are on fire for God. But that's so true. And so here they are, and they got the And so what happens is because they were faithless, because of unbelief, they did not enter into the land of promise. And 600,000 men wandered in the wilderness, along with women and children. So probably two to three million people wandered in the wilderness, and an entire generation passed away and never saw the land of promise. The only two that entered in out of that entire group were the two spies who came back and gave the good report, Joshua and Caleb. Now, it's, we see again that he speaks of, in last chapter, he spoke of unbelief and he termed it as being evil. You may have never thought of that before, but he said that unbelief is evil. You might say, well, unbelief is ambivalent, or, but not evil. No, it's evil. Amen. It's the opposite of God. We don't believe what God has said. It truly is evil. In verse 13, he called for the believers to exhort one another daily, lest they become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin left unrepented produces hardness of heart and separation from God. And we need each other to hold each other accountable. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. God did not call you to be an isolated Christian. You might be one of those who says, well, I don't really need to be in fellowship. Yes, you do. And if you don't think you need to be in fellowship, you really do. Amen? Because we need the body of Christ. We need to minister one to another. So let me read the last three verses of chapter 3, and then we'll move into chapter 4. And we'll get the outline for that. It says, Therefore, who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they did not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. What kept them from God's highest? Unbelief. And there's really a twofold thing we're going to see in, in tonight's chapter, or tonight, this morning's chapter. It's night for me. This morning's chapter is that it's all about entering into his rest. God's desire for us is that we enter into his rest, that we know his rest, that we know what it means as believers to walk in peace. But the sad thing is, is most of the world today looks for peace and looks for rest in all the wrong places. We think if we have enough worldly riches and accomplishments, then we'll have rest. If we achieve our career or personal goals, then we'll have rest. If I just work hard enough, I will eventually accumulate enough that I can then rest. And this is the same mentality, sadly, that's been brought into the church. Much of the church today thinks they've got to work their way to earning God's favor. And my prayer is that when you leave here this morning, you will understand that you working has nothing to do with you entering into His rest. You can leave here in His rest, and all you need to do is come believing and ask. We don't attain rest through good works. He gives it to us. It's a free gift. So, the outline for this morning's text, if you're a note taker, title the message is Entering into His Rest. And then the three points we're going to look at this morning. Number one, by responding to His Word with believing faith. How do we enter into the rest He has for us? By responding to His Word with believing faith. Number two, by recognizing that the work required for salvation is finished. There's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing you can take away from it. It's finished. And then lastly, by allowing God's word to reveal what's in the depths of our hearts. It's one of the ways God opens our eyes to our need for rest. The last three verses of chapter four, I really believe tie in better with chapter five. So we'll look at that next week with chapter five, as we see that Jesus is our compassionate and great high priest. Let's begin in verse 1 of entering into his rest by responding to his word with believing faith. Verse 1, therefore, therefore, tying back, whenever you see therefore, you ask what it's there for. And again, it's always in light of what was just said. Now, how do you respond? In light of the fact that because of unbelief, they did not enter into his rest. How should you and I, with that understanding and that knowledge, how do you and I respond? The unbelief and the heeding of the words of faithless men above the promise of God had kept this generation that escaped Egypt out of entering Canaan. We'll go into that more in a moment. But it says, therefore, 
since a promise remains of entering his rest. So he just gave the example of those who did not enter into his rest because of unbelief. And then he lets them know all these, you know, thousand or years so later, more than a thousand years later, he says to them, but there is still rest that remains. There's still a rest for you to enter into. Even though the children of Israel, because of their unbelief, did not experience God's highest in their life, you still can. Remember in context who he's talking to. He's talking to Jewish believers who are being tempted to go back to their old way of life. Being tempted to go back to Judaism. Being tempted to go back to the religious rites. And he's letting them know, you know what? Your rest doesn't come from rituals. Your rest doesn't come from religion. The rest comes from entering into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're very clear. He says there's still a promise. So even though they died in the wilderness, having never tasted God's will for their lives, it's not too late for you. Now the key word in chapter 4 is the word rest. We're going to see it nine times. He says nine times the word rest. And the word rest there in the original language has two different things it can speak to. Calming of the wind. I like that. Or it can also be a resting place. You know what? I believe that there's a twofold thing the Lord wants us to see in this morning's text. That the Lord wants us to have eternal rest, of course, that comes in salvation. But the Lord also wants us to have rest here and now. He wants us to have life. He came that we might have life and life more abundant. So rest in the midst of the trials, but also the promise of an eternal rest in His presence. And I believe this chapter truly speaks to both of those things. The promises of God were still available. They didn't die in the wilderness with those who didn't believe. It was their opportunity to make a decision. It was their opportunity to be just like the children of Israel and turn back from God and turn back to what they knew before and reject stepping out in faith or to step out in faith. You know what? That same thing is true for everyone in this room this morning. You have an opportunity. You have a choice to make to step out in faith, to go deeper in your relationship with the Lord, or just hang on to the status quo. By the way, I don't believe you can do that. I believe Christianity is indeed a grease pole. You're either climbing up or sliding down. Nobody stays in the same spot. You're either growing in the Lord or you're falling away from Him. Because you don't just stay static with Him. And so may we press in and not fall away. So He desires a rest for His people, for each of us to be at rest in our relationship with Him, for Him and His promises to be our source of rest, even in the midst of difficulties. Guys, He knows we live in a fallen world. He's not surprised that you live in Santa Cruz. He knows where you live. He knows what's going on in this town. And He has you here to be salt and light. Amen? He doesn't have us here to go with the flow and be like the world and just fit in. He has us here to be a halogen light in this place that is so dark and so desperately needs our Savior. He knows we live in a world that's filled with war and famine and disease and crime and anger and envy and strife. And He knows that we have to go to work every day. He's the one that told us in Genesis that men that we would sweat by the by our brow to provide for our families, that we would deal with rebellious children, unreasonable bosses, and annoying, annoying co-workers, and all this stuff going on in life. In the midst of all of that, He promises us that we can have rest. Where in the world do you get that? How do you get rest in the middle of this mess, right? You know what, though? We try to work to get rest. The Lord says, that's not how you get rest. Rest comes by faith. When we look to the Lord, we must not see coming to Him and entering into His rest as a place of toil and difficulty, as if we have to work twice as hard to please Him. Jesus said, look unto me, enter into my rest. He wants you to rest in Him, to see Him as a refuge and a place and a source of peace, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And we need to remember that. If you're overburdened, you need to draw closer to the Lord. Because you're holding up the burden all by yourself. And if your salvation is based on works, you'll never be, you'll never have peace. Isn't that true or not? You'll always walk around wondering if you've done enough. Let me tell you right now, you haven't. Amen? If you think it's about you, you'll never, I don't think I've done it. You're right, you haven't. Jesus said, it is finished, paid in full, it's done. 
And so we enter into his rest based on his works, not ours. His work on the cross of Calvary. We are complete in him. Our salvation is a finished product. And we can, again, not earn it or achieve it. We can only receive it freely as we ask him. Law can't produce peace. It can only reveal sin and show us our need for a savior. So we must come to him with that knowledge, you guys. That salvation is indeed a free gift. And we must come based on His grace, not our good works, to enter into His peace, not into guilt. It's, it again is faithlessness and unbelief that kept the children of Israel out of the land of promise. And so that promise, since a promise remains of entering into His rest, then it says this, Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now, doesn't the Bible say God has not given us a spirit of fear? And you read that, we're not supposed to fear. We're not supposed to fear the enemy. We're not supposed to fear, we shouldn't fear death. We shouldn't fear it. No, but wait a minute, are there things we should fear? The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So certainly we fear Him. And in this case, He tells them to fear. Now what is He telling them to fear? He's telling them to fear falling into the very same trap that the children of Israel had. What did they do? They feared men more than they feared God. They were listening to the words of men more than the word of God. And he said, here's your problem. Because you don't believe, he said, you guys fear so you don't fall into the same trap of unbelief. And that's the thing that we, the only thing we do need to focus on here, that is our main part, is to believe. The Jewish Christians were being tempted to do exactly the same thing that their ancestors had done. To abandon the gospel of grace, motivated by an outward persecution and inward pressure, and to return to that religious tradition, to return to the law and to rituals that cannot save you in any way. Again, it's not just choosing one tradition over another, but turning their backs on the only true source of salvation. Guys, when you add to the cross, it's not Christianity. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. When you add to, cross, to the cross, you make Jesus a liar when he said, it is finished. He didn't say, that's a good start. He didn't say, that's part step one of 12. Amen? He said, it is finished. And so it grieves me when I see so much of religion today saying, oh, but you got to be baptized in our baptismal. Oh, you got to keep this sacrament. Oh, you got to do this. Oh, you've got to do that. Or you're not really saved. And even after you die, we probably got to pray for you to get you into heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we need to stop letting people add or delete from the word of God. This is the authority. It's not the words of men. It's the word of God. And that's what we follow, and that's who we follow. And so he says there, let us fear it. And the word again, it means to, to put to flight by being terrified. To be struck with fear. You know what? Be struck with fear lest you seem to, to fall short. Lest you fail to reach the goal. And what is the goal? Believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him. The children of Israel fell short. They did not enter into his rest. Why? Because they allowed themselves to get caught up in unbelief. You know what? This is an exhortation here that these Jewish believers, again, who are being fearful, and he's exhorting them, stop. Don't fear. Don't be afraid of what man can do to you. That's exactly what happened to your ancestors. Because they were afraid of what men could do, they did not enter into the land of promise. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You know what? We don't have to fear the world. We don't have to walk around on eggshells. We can be bold in our relationship with God. Always do it in love. Always do it in humility. But we need to walk around with boldness. The difficulty and the circumstances kept them from entering into God's highest because they were ruled by fear and not by faith. Disobedience is a manifestation of unbelief. When you disobey, you don't really believe. If you really believed that God would do what He said He would do in Scripture, you wouldn't disobey. But that's what we do, right? Well, at the moment, I don't believe. I mean, maybe He'll... You know, and the, enemy, the enemy's favorite lie is, oh, well, you're saved, so go right. You know, God will forgive you. Anybody else heard that besides me? It's so true. And the point is, guys, that we need to walk in obedience before the Lord. Now, you're, well, wait a minute, Pastor Dave. You just told me we enter into His rest and there's nothing we can do. Amen. We're, you're not saved by your obedience. But 
Your obedience is a result of your salvation. It's fruit that you have indeed, are indeed walking with the Lord. May you and I not fall into the same trap and allow a lack of faith or our circumstances to to cause us to not enter into His rest. Verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The word gospel means good news. Now in the Old Testament, you know, it says that Abraham believed it by faith he was accounted righteous. Now he had a faith in a coming Messiah, one that would come. But he didn't know Jesus. He, w- he had not been born again. He was not a Christian. But he was a follower of God. And by faith, he was accounted righteous. Well, the good news he's talking about here, specifically, is it says there, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. The good news to them was that they could be delivered out of bondage. And having been delivered out of bondage, they could enter in to the promise of God, the land of promise. Now, if you've been coming on Wednesday nights, you know there's some types and some pictures that we see here. When they were in the land of Egypt, they were in bondage. This is a picture, Egypt being a type or a picture of the world. As they were in bondage 400 years, they finally come to a place where they cried out to God for deliverance. He sent a deliverer. The deliverer comes, and we know Moses in that way being a picture or a type of the Lord. He comes, Moses is there, and he brings to them, you know, the opportunity, goes to the, goes to the Pharaoh to let them go. And finally, what was it that got them out of bondage? It was Passover. And Passover, they took the blood of the lamb and they put it in the shape of the cross, right? At the foot, both sides, and the top of the doorpost. And whoever had the blood of the lamb in the shape of the cross, the angel of death passed over. And that was the very thing that got them out of that bondage and delivered them. It's the same thing that delivers you and I from the bondage to this world. It's the cross of Calvary. Then they go through the Red Sea. Just your pastor's opinion, I believe a picture of water baptism. An outward statement of an inward change. Now they're in the wilderness. They're headed to the land of promise. Before you get to the land of promise, you cross over the Jordan. The Jordan, my, my opinion, a picture of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they've got saved souls, but they've yet to be filled with the Spirit. That's what the picture is. And some of you are caught between Egypt and Canaan. Some of you have been born again, you know God, but you have a saved soul and a wasted life and you're wandering around in circles trying to figure out what in the world am I going to do with myself. And you know what the Lord wants you to do? Get your eyes on Him and step out in faith. Rest in Him, pursue Him, seek after Him with your whole heart. The gospel was preached to them and it was preached to us. We saw how they responded to the good news. They did not enter in. How have you responded to the good news of Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead? How have you responded? Have you made Him your Lord and your Savior? Guys, some of us have made Him Savior, and we have not truly made Him Lord. We pray the sinner's prayer, we get the get out of hell free card, and we think, you know, I'm just going to live my life, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll show up at church once every three weeks after worship's over, right? Ouch. Those, some of you, you know what I'm talking about. The word was delivered to them, but it did not profit them because they did not receive it with faith. We can take the word of God all day long, but if we do not receive it with faith and put feet to our faith, allow the word of God to transform our lives. All all we're doing is reading a book. Guys, we need to be reading God's word and allowing it to impact our lives. The result of faithlessness was they refused to enter in and they died in the wilderness. Why? Because it says at the end of that verse, it did not profit them not being mixed with faith. If we disregard the direction God gives us in his word, we will walk aimlessly through life. You know, we, we are so, all of us, me included, we are so thick. You know, we think we know better than God. God's word says something, but we're the exception to that rule. Right? I mean, it's like every, and oh, but yeah, but you know, but hey, but my circumstances, and you know, it's all right, and I can do this, and you know, I know it's a little different, and yeah, it's, guys, we need to stop making excuses for our sin and start saying, Lord, I give you my life completely, and whatever I have to get rid of, I'll get rid of it. 
Lord, I don't want to be just have you be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. And he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And what happened here, they did not mix it with faith. They heard the word. They did not respond in faith. They were left outside of Canaan. They watered in the wilderness for 40 years. And you ended up with a couple of million dead people who never experienced God's highest for their life. That is too much of the Christian church today. We need to enter into his rest. We need to have lives that are impacting the people around us for eternity. We need to be people who are on fire for Jesus Christ. You know, we need to be glowing in the dark for him. Amen? I mean, be like Moses, where you got to start wearing a veil once in a while because we're blinding people. Instead, you know, it's just this Christianity, you know, on cruise control. And the Lord, Lord, I want, I want, don't you want all that he has for you? Don't you want to press into the kingdom and enter into his rest? Don't you want to take the word of God he's given you and mix it with faith and then step out in it? Quit waiting for God to drag you somewhere. You know, Lord, let me just step out. Lord, show me. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. Not all who hear the word of God will profit from it. Most won't believe it. So they'll do nothing about it. The word plus faith equals rest. You want to enter into his rest? Read his word, respond by faith, and you'll enter into his rest. You'll experience all that he has for you. They had to have been faithful once. They applied the blood. It wasn't good enough to slay the lamb. They had to apply the blood. It's not good enough to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. You must come to the cross repentant and broken and asking him to forgive you for your sin and to be your savior. You need to take that blood and apply it to your own life. Not enough to believe that there is a God. The demons believe and tremble. We need to not just believe in Him. We need to have a relationship with Him. Walk in the fullness of His Spirit. But they did not heed His word. There was no rest. If you do not heed His word, you will have no rest. Your life will be restless. You know, I'm really restless right now. Then you're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now again, He may stir you up to do things. But you know what? We need to take the word of God, and apply it to our lives. The whole, not just the parts you like. Amen? You know, I don't read that Job. That stuff's kind of rough. I don't like that Job. I cut that out. You know what I mean? No. Job's in the Bible for a reason. And you know, all of it, the whole book. If God's word is to impact our lives, it must not only be heard, but believed by faith. It has no power to change our lives if we do not believe it by faith and apply it to our lives. So it must be mixed with faith in those who heard it. Verse 3. For we who have believed do enter that rest. That's a great word for everyone here. If we believe it, we enter into his rest. The only reason we don't is if we do not believe what his word says. It's not a lack of good works that keeps me from entering into his rest. It's not too much sin in my past. Let me say that again. It's not too much sin in my past that keeps me from entering into his rest. I know there are a lot of people in this room struggling with that. I talk to a lot of you all the time. Some of you I talk to every week, and you tell me the same thing every week. But pastor, my past is such a disaster. I've got so much baggage. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You need to believe that word by faith and accept it and start walking in it and quit being condemned because that's the enemy. And so here's the whole point. He's telling them. He's telling them, for who have believed do enter that rest. He's telling these guys who are restless, who are contemplating going back to the old way of life, going back to Judaism, running back to those things. And he's saying, look, if you will just enter in by faith and trust in the Lord by faith, you will enter into his rest. You will be restless no more. As he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Rest. He's quoting Psalm 95.11. It's also in Hebrews chapter 3. And basically, the word wrath means anger exhibited in punishment. Now, God is not out of control. I define wrath this way for God. 
It's a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to the nature and the will of God. So, in unbelief, God pours out His wrath. With belief, God pours out His blessings. So when they believe, He blesses. Now, it's not always the blessing you're thinking of. It's not a Cadillac in your driveway necessarily, right? Sometimes the blessing and the best thing that can happen to us is if our Cadillac blows up. Sometimes God needs to take some stuff away from us so we keep our eyes on Him. But He does bless us and He does draw us unto Himself as we walk by faith. But He says, So I swore my wrath that they, may not, they shall not enter my rest. Who wouldn't enter His rest? Again, He's referring back to the children of Israel who because of their unbelief when they got to Canaan, he swore by his wrath they would not enter into his rest because of their unbelief. You and I, our unbelief will keep us from God's highest. It says there, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The Bible says that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So the plan was always that Jesus would come. Because he always knew we were going to blow it. He knew it before he created us, we were going to blow it. And he created us anyway. Didn't that blow you away sometimes? He knew that he was going to create us and that we were going to blow it. And then a majority of us were going to mock him and never receive him. And yet he created us anyway. And yet he came to earth and suffered and died that we might have eternal life anyway. He took all of our sin upon himself. He knew separation from the Father. And he knew that even in doing that, that most of the sin placed upon him would be by people who reject his grace. And he did it anyway. That's the God that we serve. And his plan before the foundation of the world, the works, it says, the works were what? Finished. The works were finished. The price was paid for us to enter into his rest. We must still enter in by faith. Word of God plus faith equals rest. But it's not our works that put us into rest. The works it says in that verse were what? Finished. Jesus finished the work at Calvary. There are no more works for us to do to be saved. It's simply accepting the the work of the cross and His shed blood for us. So, entering into His rest by responding to His word with believing faith. It's not enough to read the word, it's respond to it. Reading the word is a good start. It's a great start. Matter of fact, more Christians need to read their Bibles. I don't get that, by the way. How do you, can you, I can't imagine, what if I was married to my wife and I never talked to her? And every time she talked to me, I just put my hand over my ears. When I, I, I wouldn't be married very long. And there'd be a rolling pin in the back of my head or something, right? But you know what? Some of us, we say that he is the groom and we are his bride, and yet we spend no time with him. We never crack open our Bible. We don't spend time in prayer. We're too busy being an adulterer, in a sense, with everything else in this world and never spending time with the one we're married to. As youth pastor, I used to say all the time, guys, are you married to Jesus? Are you knit to Him? And that's what needs to happen. Again, respond to His Word by believing faith. Number two, by recognizing, again, that the work required for salvation is indeed finished. Look at verse four. For He has spoken to us in a certain place, on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, he's relating back to creation. Six days he created in the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. When did he rest? When the work was done. Amen? That's a, good, that's a lot of good applications there, by the way. Don't rest till the work's done, Amen? Genesis 2.2 says, And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. So God created the heavens and the earth, created everything in the earth, in the heavens. Only after His work was done did He rest. So too, as He rested after the work of creation was finished, rest is now possible for us spiritually because on the cross the work was finished. 
See, when the work is finished, then we enter into the rest. His work was finished at creation, and then he rested. The work is finished at Calvary. Now you and I can enter into his rest. He's making a point that rest doesn't come by us doing more work. Rest comes by trusting in the work that he's already done. So as he rested after the work of creation, you and I can rest now. The redemption, again, work is finished. There's nothing we can add. I'm so, I'm so glad. Praise the Lord. Amen. Verse 5. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. You know what's interesting? He says, well, God rested. And while his rest was available to all who would simply believe, they would not enter in. He says, verse 5. And God rested on the seventh day from all His work. Okay, the work's been done. He's resting. His rest is available. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Why didn't they enter into His rest? Unbelief. I know I'm driving this point home. But He's driving this point home. He's making it very clear. It's unbelief that keeps us from His rest. It's a lack of faith that keeps us from entering into all that the Lord has for us. They would not enter into his rest. Why not? Look at the next verse. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those whom it was preached did not enter because of what? Disobedience. God gave them a very clear and a very simple command. Go into the land. I've already got it for you. I did the battle. I did all the work. You just show up. All I'm asking you to do is show up. You know that's all God's asking us to do? You know, we don't, we don't save anybody. If you think you've saved a bunch of people, you're wrong. Right? Now, God may have used you as a tool to share the gospel, and people have gotten saved because of it, and we should be good tools in the hands of our master. But a tool never gets the glory the master does. And so, we don't save anybody. But he saves people, and sometimes he chooses to use us. He just wants us to show up. He just wants us to say, here I am, Lord, use me. And too often we're saying, well, I've got to get more ready before I can show up. I need to get better educated. I need to memorize the Bible. I need to raise my children. I need to, you know what? If you've been coming on Wednesday night, David's in a cave and he's still doing ministry. He's in a cave being chased by a guy throwing spears that is outside of his mind and he's still doing God's work. And sometimes we're waiting for the the circumstances to be perfect. Then we'll let God use us. They'll never be perfect. Just start letting God use you now. No matter what's going on. But I'm going to school and I'm working full time. Great. Then when you're at school, be an evangelist. When you're at work, share your faith. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, be salt and light. You got to go to the grocery store. There's a mission field right there. Amen. Amen? This is, you know, guys... We don't go witnessing. We are witnesses. Wherever we go, whatever we're doing, it's because of disobedience. Why? Because they wouldn't show up. They wouldn't step out. They wouldn't move across into the thing that God had commanded them to do. He had called them to go into the land of promise. They heard that it would be a little rough, so they stopped. God has called all of us to go, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the Great Commission It applies to everyone in this room. But I'm just too shy. I can't do that. We'll be like grasshoppers. They'll squash us. It's the same excuse, isn't it? Lord, help us. Lord, give us boldness. Without you, we can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Lord, help me not to miss out on your highest because I disobey. And in their case, they disobeyed because of fear you know it says there and those to whom it was first preached that's the jews they got the word first right they had it but they didn't do anything with it they were thinking about going back to being jews again you know guys we have the word of god we must not hide it under a bushel you know some of those songs we sang when we were kids are pretty sweet We had VBS this week, and I heard the kids out there singing, man, I love that, it's great. But you know, don't let Satan blow it out, right? This is the light of mine, you've all heard that song before. You know, we need to start living some of that, amen? 
We hide it under a bushel. We pretend not to be Christians at work because we don't want any static. Guys, nobody's going to remember how well you did your job. But again, we should do it unto the Lord. But what's going to impact eternity is how bold we are for our Savior while we're there. The word disobedience, it's interesting. It has another word it can be translated into, and the word is unbelief. Because of their disobedience, because of their unbelief, they did not enter into God's highest, God's rest. The good news was brought to them, and how did they respond to it? Again, those early Jewish Christians were missing out, just like the children of Israel had, because there was a temptation to go back instead of going forward. And the enemy always wants you to go back. He always wants you to go back to your old way of life, to do the old things again. Verse 7, again he designates a certain day saying to David, Today after such a long time, as it has been said, Today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today has been such a long time. Several hundred years after the rest was available in the land of promise, some thousand years after the Sabbath, God's rest was still available and David was talking about it as a future event. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This assumes that they have a a grasp of the Old Testament, because again, he's quoting Psalm 95. But he says, today, you know what? When I read that, I think of one thing. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you will hear his words, do not harden your hearts. Today, as he reaches out to you, today, some of you are here and you don't know the Lord The free gift of salvation is being held out to you right now and you must receive it by faith. God's not looking for you to clean up your life first because it will never be clean enough. He wants you to come just as you are and give your life to Him. He loves you so much He'd rather die than live without you and He proved it on the cross of Calvary. And you know what? We need to enter into His rest as first and foremost to give our lives to Him. But then as Christians, we need to stay in that place of being in His rest, trusting in Him, reliant upon Him. If you hear His voice, do not harden your heart, but respond in faithful obedience. When He calls you, give your life to Him. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Some of you here are restless. Some of you here are uptight. You can have rest by pressing into Him. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. You know, eventually Joshua did bring that next generation into the land of promise, but yet they were still talking about a future rest. Because the ultimate rest was not Canaan. The ultimate rest is heaven. The ultimate rest is entering into eternal life with our Savior. The ultimate rest is not the physical blessing. It's the spiritual transformation that comes when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. And again, Joshua, the word for Joshua there is Yahshua, which is Jesus. So he had given them rest. Then he would, if he had given them rest, he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There was a physical rest, the kind of rest that we get, again, from walking in obedience on the world. But there's something greater that God has for us. Verse 9, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. There's a rest that's greater. Greater than the Sabbath rest. Greater than the land of promised rest. It's that spiritual rest that we have both here and now and then in eternity to come. You know what, guys? It's all this in heaven too. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts when you're saved. Amen? Amen? You have eternal life right now. Amen. I'm going to heaven right now. I'm born again right now. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit right now. And so we're going. And so we have it. It's not something we attain to. We've already got it. And so we have entered into His rest as we walk with Him. And now I want to stay in that place of being in the center of His will and knowing His rest and knowing His peace. Salvation and peace is found in rest, not in works. Now, Pastor David, are you telling me that we should do no good work? No. The works don't save you. The works are fruit that you're saved. I know I said that before. So, we show our faith by our works. Our, faith, our works are evidence that we do have faith in God. There's no rest when we try to add to the cross. And there never will be. But you know what? And sometimes it happens. 
We get very legalistic. We start to add a bunch of things. And we think we're being really spiritual. But just hope it hasn't burst your bubble, but it's about to. Uh, The Bible says it's the weaker brother who's legalistic. It's the weaker brother who's, you know, it was the Pharisees that were counting their mint and coming, right? They're counting their spices to make sure they tithe. You know, imagine getting your pepper shaker out. Time to tithe. I'm going to get my pepper shaker out. And that's what they did. But you know, at the same time, they missed the Messiah. I'm thinking you got a problem. You're counting your pepper and you're missing the Messiah. And sometimes that's what happens. People are so legalistic and trying to make it that we earned it somehow because that's how we're driven. We're driven to say, I earned it. I attained it. I've done it. And we need to come to a place of, I can't do it. I can't do it. I need you, Lord. Help. That's a great prayer. Help. Lord, I'm desperate. Lord, I need more of you and less of me. Help me, Lord. And you know what? That's the man or the woman that God will use in a mighty and a powerful way. Those who come broken and humble before him in desperation for his help. Verse 10. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. What does that say? Whoever enters into his rest... No longer is he, does he need to try to even work. Again, he's speaking of salvation. And once we've entered into salvation, there are no more works that we have to do to make us saved. So do we need to be baptized to be saved? What's the answer? No. No, we don't. Should we be baptized? Absolutely. It's an outward statement of an inward change. It's a, you know what, it's a picture of the, death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. It's letting the whole world know you want to be identified with Jesus Christ. If you haven't been baptized, you should. But if we had to be baptized to be saved, we'd be adding to the cross. We'd be saying that when he said it's finished, it's not true. What about church membership? What about tithing? What about giving? What, serving? What, no. Again, those are things we should do, but we, those are not the things that save us. They're fruits of salvation. True rest comes when you realize your salvation is not dependent upon anything you do. You know, the Lord doesn't love you any more or any less when you've blown it or when you've read your Bible for 16 hours. He loves you just the same. Now, your walk's going to be different. Amen? You'll have more fruit. You'll have a greater passion for Him, a greater love for Him. You should be in the Word every single day. But you know what? I've got four kids. And whether my kids blow it or they're getting straight A's, I love them just the same because they're my kids. And that's the way the Lord is with us. We need to stop trying to earn His approval. He's already given us more love than we can ever comprehend. He loves you so much more than you can even imagine. Can you? And you know what? He knows you. Everything. Everything. He knows every thought you've ever had. Oh, dude, that's not good. Can you imagine if we were going to like at random pick somebody's name and then we had a way of like flashing up your thoughts for the last week up on the screen? Whoever's name got pulled would be running for the parking lot like the place is on. I mean, it's true. But you know what's amazing? God knows all of that and still loves you. He's a gracious God. Guys, we need to stop trying to earn his favor. Instead, just be thankful for it and start walking in obedience to him because we know how much he loves us. When you know how much somebody loves you, you trust him, don't you? Lord, I trust you. You love me that much. I trust you. I'm not going to question your word. I'm not going to question your, your thoughts. I'm not going to question anything. Lord, you say that's good enough for me. I have people say to me, well, the Bible only says that twice. How many times does it have to say it? Well, it's only in the Bible twice. You can't be that big. He says it one time. That's enough. Amen? You know, he doesn't have to say it any times. If he doesn't want to, he's still God. He's still in control. We need to cease from works, again, in trying to use them to bring about salvations because because works do not save us. You know what? We're going to stop there because I'm not going to rush through verse 12. There's absolutely no way. Let me read verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Isn't it interesting that there is the word diligent there? Let us be diligent while 
His rest is indeed available. He won't force it on you. He will not force rest upon you. He offers it freely. He offers it openly. He wants to give you a life filled with rest. All you must do is respond by faith. That's his heart. That's his desire for every one of us. His rest is available. How do you and I respond? In light of the fact that we've just, it's what it says here, let us therefore, in light of what I've just told you about entering into the rest, he says to them, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. You know what, there are no doubt some people in this room this morning who have never given their life to Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. He holds out salvation as a free gift, and he will not force it on anyone. He loves you so much. He, here, he says, come be my child. Be adopted into my family. There is no work you need to do except by faith what I already did for you. Here's salvation. It's offered freely. Enter in to my rest. True belief, true faith does produce an action. And you know what? Right now I'm going to give you guys an opportunity. If you don't know the Lord, to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you to take an action. Because here's the truth. If we will not confess Him before a cheering crowd, how are we going to stand for Him before a jeering one? Amen? You know what, if we can't stand up for him in a room full of people who are praying for you, who love you, who want to see you walking with him, how in the world are we going to do it when we leave the building? The Bible says, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So as we pray, if it's your desire to give your life to Jesus Christ, to make a public confession, unashamed. Lord, I want to be identified with you. I've been wandering. I've been restless. My life's been a disaster. And you know what? It's time for me to come before you and confess my sin and ask you to be my Savior. And not just my Savior, but Lord of my life. Every part of it. If that's your desire as we pray, I want you to just stand to your feet so I can pray with you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are here this morning who don't know you. Lord, I pray and ask in Jesus' name that even now you would move upon their hearts, Lord, to confess their sin, to make you Lord and Savior of their lives. Lord, not to be ashamed of you as you hung on a cross for them. May they stand up in this room for you. Lord, and I thank you for your word that says of We believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will be saved to the glory of the... We will be saved and to the glory of of the Father ultimately. So I pray that there's anybody here this morning that needs to know you, Lord, they would stand to their feet even now. Is there anybody at all? Don't be ashamed. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you, brother. Anybody else? Today's the day of salvation. God bless you. Anybody else? Enter into his rest. He loves you. God bless you, brother. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Those of you who are standing, I just want you to repeat out loud with me as I pray this simple prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to be my Savior. To forgive me for my sin. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. That he died on the cross. That he paid for my sin. That he rose from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the words of song.